Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. It's Brent. Say hi, Brent. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Hey. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to connect and get you on this podcast. Um, would you mind just kind of introducing yourself real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I'm Brent, like you said, and I work with uh, some other podcasters on the Suicide Squadcast Network. Uh, specifically, I'm one of the co-hosts of Fans Without Borders, where we just talk whatever geeky movie, Marvel, DC, Star Trek, Star Wars stuff we feel like talking about. Um, and I do occasionally guest and fill in for um, either Scott or Tim on the Suicide Squad cast if one of them has to be gone. Um, but I, I am known as the, I guess, the Marvel fanboy of the group because I'm definitely <laughs> Marvel's biggest cheerleader among us. And I'm a huge TV fan. And so when you asked me about doing this, I'm like, oh, I love the idea. But I don't know what movie I would want to talk about that much. I'm like, what, what what movie would it be that's, you know, I was trying to think of something a little outside of what I normally talk about with, with you know, Superman and Batman and Captain America and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think I feel like we finally settled on one that I think is going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I, you know, when you said that, I think I'm the opposite of you and that I'm pretty weak in all the TV areas. So... Um, in fact, I, when you guys had your show, it, when it was uh, the DC TV squad cast, yeah, exactly. Yep. I had to stop listening for a while because I got so <laughs> far behind. Because I, I like have, the honesty. Yeah, I, like- I was like, I gotta stop. I like you were giving too many, you know, spoilers. I mean, because you were recapping the shows, and so I was like, I got, I gotta stop. So I, um, it was because I had the, I mean, I. I didn't have the updated Apple TV that had the CW app on it and I was streaming from my phone and because that was new at the time streaming from my phone to the TV, at least for me, I was having some problems with it. So I waited a little while till everything got back on to uh, Netflix and then caught up. But. Well, luckily they have that deal with Netflix, <laughs> and like two weeks after the season finales, they're on Netflix now. Right, right. So I'm gonna have to go back and actually catch up. <laughs> but there's there's no shame in acknowledging that you're behind on something. It's fine. It happens. <laughs> People talk to me about movies, and they're like, "Oh, you have to have seen this movie." And I'm like, "Nope, I haven't seen it." There's tons of movies that are must sees that I have not seen. So it, it and it's that way with TV shows. There's no shame in that. Right, and and I will tell you. Um, you being the Marvel representative on the the DC Suicide uh, Squadcast Network, um, you can you can always discuss a Marvel film too. I mean, I'm not a hater, <laughs> <laughs> so like I acknowledge like there I definitely need to balance it out and have some Marvel on my show. What's funny about that is it, it is true that the guests actually pick the movie, so 
you yeah, know, I, I, I don't have some bias, but I will. Be, I don't I think you have to balance it. anything out. I don't think you have to balance it out. Like you said, your guests picked the shows, and when I was looking at your catalog, I saw I saw Batman v Superman and Mask of the Phantasm. Yep, That's right. Yep. That's only two two DC things that well, I've seen. Who, who cares? Superman They're both. <laughs> oh, did I miss that one? Okay, yeah, well, I, no worries. But from that, that, the seventies one, yeah. Okay, so get a Marvel show. No, really, you don't have to balance <laughs> it out. Like you said, you're not the one who picks the movie. Yeah. yeah. Maybe sometime you should be. I, I mean, know. I feel like that would be an interesting episode for you to do. Yeah, I do. I there are some there. There's like a top, like I did kind of like a top twenty-five, and there's just so many movies I would love to dive into, and those tend to be like the longest episodes. Um, but, <laughs> but. Um, you know, it kind of just depends on, on the guest and, and how long they want to talk about something, how much they want to talk about something. But I've, I've done a couple of my favorites already because uh, a guest has picked them. But yeah, yeah, I, I definitely want to probably, maybe closer to Halloween, I'll pick, you know, one of my favorite movies and, and just admit, like, I picked this. <laughs> I, I think you should. I, yeah. It's your show. You do what you want. True. Well, um, so with this movie, what... I, I guess let's start with when when did you oh we didn't introduce the movie yet we're, we're talking no so well, no we didn't <laughs> okay so Ren, what movie did you pick for us to to discuss today I, I you know decided to think away from my normal stuff and I went with Disney and Pixar's Inside Out I love that you picked this movie because I think this is we've discussed a couple animated films on here but they've been you know, pretty adult or darker subject matter. So this is like the first animated film that we've picked for for kids, and uh, the first Pixar film we've picked um, along that same vein. So I'm I'm excited to dive into this. I I saw parts of this movie, but I think this is like my first time seeing it all the way through. So it was really fun to see it and sort of uh, research it a little bit. Uh, when when did you first see this movie? Um, I, I actually first saw this movie when it was already out on home release. Um, I was visiting my sister-in-law and her fiance with my wife. And at the time, my one child, my wife was pregnant with our son and it was just one of those hanging out, not doing much. And we threw in the movie and I just loved it. I'd never seen it. I'd seen trailers, but I don't go to very many movies that aren't my typical must see in the big screen live action type stuff, special effects movies, you know, your typical comic movies. And so I, I never made it to this one. And I, I just loved it. Just the whole thing. There's so many jokes throughout that are for adults. There's so many things that it makes parents think of that I, I probably would have totally missed if I didn't have kids at the time, but you know, having kids and like re I've rewatched, rewatched it recently over the last couple of days and with my daughter, who's now five years old. And I'm like, Wow, I can totally see right now that you're starting to have a meltdown, and I just know that anger is blowing his top off in your head right now. I can just see <laughs> it happening, and I, it's just such a fun movie. And the weird thing is, I, I'm the guy that wants more and more, like the longer the better. But this only like 90, 95 minute long movie, but wow. it feels like they put so much more into it. it and does. yeah, I, there's just so much. Like there's character growth, like real character growth, which I'm a proponent that it's really hard to do that in a relatively short time span. That's part of why I like TV so much. And like, especially with Joy, I mean, she really goes on this major character arc and I, I just think it's wonderful. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a very complex, um, a lot of complex themes that they're tackling in this movie that you don't usually see in a children's film at all. I think that's why it's gotten such a big positive response. And uh, I think before we go too much further, I'll go ahead and share the synopsis really quick. 
and then we can kind of start diving into some facts about the movie and kind of go from there. Perfect. So um, here we go, the synopsis of Inside Out. Uh, Riley is a happy, hockey-loving 11-year-old Midwestern girl, but her world turns upside down when she and her parents move to San Francisco. Riley's emotions, led by Joy, try to guide her through this difficult, life-changing event. However, the stress of the move brings sadness to the forefront. When joy and sadness are inadvertently swept into the far reaches of Riley's mind, the only emotions left in headquarters are anger, fear, and disgust. So, that's the synopsis. Um, I, as I said before, I really, I think you were mentioning the character development in this story is, is very, very interesting. And... Um, I had a couple quick facts about the film to start off with. Uh, let's see. It's the I think it's the only Pixar film where there isn't like an antagonist, you know, like there's no bad guy in this movie. It's literally just her against her own emotions. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you really, really wanted to make one, you could maybe make an argument for her parents for making her uproot her life and move. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like that's a stretch. I mean, it's really, I mean, it's literally about internal conflict throughout the whole movie. Right. And that's a pretty big topic uh, to tackle in a children's film, you know, and, and it, I think that's a real challenge to to show that on screen, you know, how do you show internal conflict? So the way they did it in this movie, I thought was really interesting. Um, I also read that there were only 45 animators on this film, which is about half compared to Pixar's previous project. Um, this movie won an Oscar for best animated film in 2016, which, you know, I, I think it definitely earned that title. Oh yeah, for sure. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and Pete Doctor's inspiration for the for the film came from watching his own daughter go through the turbulent part of growing up, which I feel like the the movie really reads that way to me. Like before I read that fact, I I had the feeling that whoever wrote or directed it uh, was pulling off their own experience. Probably you mentioned earlier, it's probably it's easier to relate to if you if you have children. I, I think so. I mean, I, I guess I should have maybe talked to my sister-in-law about it first because I know she enjoys the movie but does not have kids. But for me, I just – I see so much of like I can just pick out and be like, oh, I, it's like if this is what's going on in your head right now, I, I just – I get it. I get what's going on. I get why you're acting this way, why you feel like you're out of control. And it's it's just funny because like the parents in the actual – in the movie, they just – they don't know what she's going through. They don't see it at all. They even at one point put all this pressure on her by being like, oh, you know, just we're so glad that you're so happy all the time. How do we get so lucky? And they don't see that she is like in serious agony throughout this entire time. Yeah, I think, um, I guess to, to kind of speak from my own experience, I actually don't have kids. And I, I really enjoyed this movie, but I noticed specifically that the people that reacted the most when I posted that we were going to, talk about this film uh tended to be parents and you know i think it was either you or somebody else was saying you were glad that this came out like when you had kids and you know that that added to the experience so that kind of I, that did make me kind of go back and think about it from that perspective um i do think it probably resonates more when you're watching somebody actually go through those experiences because i feel like in the movie riley is at the age where she's she's kind of starting to grow up i mean she's not going through 
puberty yet because that kind of happens at the end of the film but her emotions <laughs> are way more complex than her parents give her credit for they're you know they're not changing they're not oh sorry there's a bit of a thunderstorm here <laughs> hopefully it doesn't pick up too much um i hear that yeah <laughs> they're uh they're not changing the way she is i mean in her life, she's going to change rapidly in front of them. So they're treating her the same way that they would have treated her a few years ago, not noticing or picking up on the fact that, you know, she's growing as a person. And so her emotions yeah. are complex. Yeah. Yeah, they're just, they're trying to, like, you know, they talk about how she has the islands of personality and one of them is Goofball Island. And they're always trying to, like, just play around and, like, act like monkeys and stuff like that with her. And they're not seeing that, like, she's losing this at least temporarily, this ability to act like a goofball. Right. And they're trying to do things like, oh, you loved hockey back in Minnesota. Let's find a hockey team for you here. And they don't understand that it's, it's not the same. Part part of the experience of her love of hockey was getting to do it with her family, out, you know, just out on the lake outside their house and getting to do it with the friends that she already had. Sure. It, it wasn't just the love of the sport. It was the people she was doing it with. And they just totally don't see that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think, and and uh, I think one of the biggest complex issues in this film is understanding how to, how to um, let's see, what am I trying to say here? Understanding how to deal with someone else's emotions without invalidating them, I guess, because like you said in the movie, they say things to her like, we've got to put on a brave face for dad, we've got to, you know, things like that. And it's kind of like, you're basically telling that person not to feel any emotions. And I think that, you know, they, they're trying to protect her from the stress that they're feeling, the, the conflicts that they're having, because they think she's a kid. She doesn't have to deal with, I have a new job now. This move is stressful. We've got a lot of financial things to, to deal with. So they're trying to shield her from that, but they can't because she's, she's able to see some of that. And then she's having her own conflicts as well. And it's okay for everyone to deal with their emotions. <laughs> and that's kind of something that, you know, she's learning to do and they're learning to do at the same time. I felt like. And you can tell she's, she's actually trying to do that. She's trying to put on that brave face because that's represented by joy, trying so hard to keep everyone on board, make everybody be happy, feel positive feel positive about where where they're going into their new house and how great their room's going to be as they're imagining on the when they get there and then she literally i mean this is effectively riley doing it but joy literally tries to circle you know sadness into the circle of sadness and don't put a toe outside that and just keep it bottled down in a way so she can be, pretend to be happy all the time and it just it, just the way i mean that riley learns to accept her feelings through joy learning to accept the need for other emotions. And I just think that's great. Yeah, it's like she doesn't have, she's not able to really communicate with her parents until she's finally allowed to feel sad. And and I liked that part in the movie too where uh, they there was a memory that was positive and sadness touched it. And there was that whole conflict about, you know, things that sadness touched made them sad. But I was kind of thinking about it in like in an, in a way that, people remember things differently based on their emotions. So it's like not everything that you remember is exactly how it happened. And, you know, like Sadness would remember when she had that, that really great hockey day, but she remembered like what happened right before it, right? With her parents um, and how right, she was right, really right. upset and how they cheered her up. Oh no, it was after. She was kind of putting on a happy face to her teammates and then telling her parents that she was sad. 
And well, well, she had she had missed a shot like in the big game in the playoffs or something like that, and she was sad and depressed, and her parents were trying to cheer her up, and that was the sadness part of the feeling. Mm-hmm. And then, but what all she was really remembering when this had come up prior in the movie was the happiness part when her team didn't blame her. They they just, I mean, they they went to cheer her up and celebrate how far they came in, you know, a successful season. And it it took, I mean, it took until literally Joy was in the memory dump where people aren't supposed to be able to come out of or memories aren't supposed to come out of before she realized the whole complete memory is not just the sadness, it's not just the happiness, but it's the two together. And that is what, understanding that is what allowed her to transition to understanding why sadness is important and why you have to have her. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And I think it's really cool that kids have a movie like this and that parents have a movie like this to watch with their kids to kind of explain these ideas, you know, to them that they're struggling with. So um, I was going to say, like, do you want to take a quick second maybe to talk about the the two or the co-directors of this film? I just had a couple quick thoughts on them. Uh, yeah, go ahead. It's uh, Pete, Pete Doctor and Ronnie Del Carmen. So Pete Doctor started at Pixar at age 21 and began working the day he graduated from college. He's actually the 10th employee at Pixar, and he was hired on as the third animator. So he's been there kind of the whole time and sort of worked his way up, you know, starting as an animator and then going from writer and then to director. Uh, He directed Up and Monsters, Inc. in addition to this film. And he also wrote the original story, um, shares writing credits, but wrote the original story for Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., WALL-E, and Up. So he's kind of... You know, he's been a big part of the Pixar team and a big part of their their biggest successes, I guess, throughout the years. Especially then, their more recent successes with things like Wally and Up. Yeah, which I, I love both those movies as well. Um, and then I actually just saw Wally for the first time like oh, a week you ago. Did? I you it think? was another I it was great. I was cracking yeah. up the whole time. I th- I thought it was wonderful and my son's name is Wally and he Aww. took to really enjoying it and he, he's not named for that movie. Um it's actually a Wally West reference, but yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was my wife's idea. I just was smart enough <laughs> not to say no. Um but it, I I really enjoyed it. And um Up is on my list. It's I haven't seen it. I, like I said I don't get to these kind of movies in the theaters typically. Probably will when my daughter gets a little older and can and sit through them but yeah. um for now i'm not at that point yet and so uh, up is on my list that i want to see it but yeah looking at this guy's i mean looking at his history he's been on some of the biggest animated movies of you know the last 20 years yeah i i really love up i i think i saw it kind of on a whim and it's got just such a big emotional punch to this film like it's I, I cried watching it. <laughs> I've heard that way. from many people. I've heard that from many people. In a happy way. And I think maybe that's a hallmark of Pete uh, Pete Doctor's uh, touch on these movies is that he's able to combine pretty complex feelings into a fairly, you know, simple and easy to kind of like digest for children movie. And I think that's pretty challenging to do. Um, he co-wrote and directed this one with Ronnie Del Carmen who started as a story supervisor for Finding Nemo, but he's also worked on a lot of projects as well. Um, so the two of them, you know, came up with this. I think they also both worked together on Up, I believe. Um, but yeah, so I, I was watching a lot of behind-the-scenes clips after I watched this movie, and I liked the way that he would kind of direct the actors and explain to them what they'd be doing in each scene and asking them to, like, re-deliver. I don't know, I just kind of liked his, his approach, his style. 
um, that I feel like you can really, like I said, he's drawing from his own personal experiences, and you can see that in this movie. I think even to the fact that he grew up in, like, the Midwest, I think. So. He worked on Freakazoid. Oh, he did? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at his <laughs> IMDb right now. now and yeah. He, he worked on Freakazoid. Wow, that's. That's back there. <laughs> yeah, I loved that show. <laughs> oh, that was always a, I mean, that was a fun show to watch. <laughs> yeah. Did he write it? Or, because I feel like the writing on that show was probably one of my favorites. Uh, it looks like to... he, looks like he was on the storyboards for oh, storyboard. it, mostly. Okay. Um, I... Not to mention quite a bit of storyboarding with, um, like, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Um, nice. Which I know is a movie you still probably need to watch. According yeah, to what I've heard, he did some stuff with the new Batman uh, animated series, um, the one that like followed the Batman animated series. I think they mm-hmm. called it New Batman Adventures. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, he's he's done a lot of stuff that I've seen outside of the Disney things. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you kind of dive into the behind the scenes of some of these animated movies. It's usually kind of a small world, you know. They kind of share in a lot of different areas, even sometimes different studios. I thought it was pretty interesting that he started, you know, at age 21 and right out of college. That's pretty cool. It's interesting to think. I wonder when Pixar started. I didn't look that up. But um, it feels like it's I, been around for such a long time, but... It was in the 90s, I think, because, I, I mean, I, wasn't Toy Story there at Pixar's first one? I think so, or, but this is 1986. Maybe it was with shorts. Well, maybe, I, that could I, be. I feel like you used to see digital shorts before we actually saw the movies oh yeah back when they you know you'd go and you get like a three to five minute usually cartoon of something and it wasn't a trailer it was just you know something extra you got with your movie ticket yeah yeah and i feel like we stopped doing that somewhere along the way well when they realized that those didn't really make money (laughs) yeah you could just release them on the um blu-ray release now exactly by the way um, to just to touch on that really quick, I did watch that short that you talked about, actually right before we started recording. Uh, Riley's first date. Yeah, super cute. I loved it. Really yeah, that's good. a it's a four minute like special feature. Um, it takes place relatively close to the end of the movie, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's her first date, and it's great because you see throughout the movie they show you the the emotions of other characters, like you see the mom's like inside of her head of the emotions there and inside dad's and you get kind of a montage later and there's a boy that you briefly see towards the end and that he 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 is in riley's first date and yeah that we we also uh, my wife and i watched that tonight and it's hysterical it is i i didn't expect how much they were going to focus on the parents but i loved that about it (laughs) you know um i i I found it interesting. I never thought of this until I was rewatching it, you know, preparation for this. Riley is led by Joy, which mm-hmm. is a thing you could probably say about most little kids. Obviously not all, but that's a pretty good – if you were going to pick an emotion for kids, that's typically what you would expect it to be. The mom was led by sadness, actually. Yeah, I noticed like, that. I, I, and, and the dad was like anger. Yeah, and it's like he, he, I he like he did not come across as an angry person most of the time. Obviously, he was upset with his business and his investors pulling out or whatever it was. They never went into too much detail there. And the mom to me never really seemed sad, but it, yeah. it's just I mean maybe it was a kind of a take on adults typically have more of a handle on their emotions, but it kind of seemed like all the emotions were more in line with each other than they were with how varied they are in, you know, the immature Riley. 
Right. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a good point. Maybe maybe it's not so much that sadness and anger are in control so much as it's more, I guess, you know, a, a partnership, a, a group, a team effort than than for Riley. That, that's a that's a better reading of it because I I did I did kind of have that thought too I was like that's weird they're kind of controlled by they're more negative emotions <laughs> than she is which I guess adults are like that but I I would like to think not <laughs> so yeah I like the idea that they're a little bit more balanced I that that is true um well uh do you want to kind of start I, I let's see I I do have one more couple quick facts i wanted to incorporate my last yeah, kind of technical stuff and then the actors i think we can probably just sprinkle them in i'll mention them as we talk about the different characters sure but um what i really liked about this movie after i started after i finished watching it i thought about you know how did they decide all the emotions like how did they pick which emotions to focus on how to communicate that in the movie i know disney always and pixar uh always does a lot of a lot of research, you know, on all their animated films. So I kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about that. So I, I was reading uh, that they reached out to a couple emotion experts. Uh, one guy named Doc, uh, Dr. Keltner. I hope I'm saying his name right. Dr. Keltner. He's a psychologist. You can look up a YouTube video of him called Built to be Kind that I really like where he talks about how um we have this idea in our society that, that people are sort of wired to be survival of the fittest and cruel, but he actually believes that we're more wired to work together with people and as a community. So it's a really interesting video. If you get a chance, it's like four minutes. Um, if you're in it more for the long haul, there's a whole video called The Science of Inside Out. It's like an hour lecture. I did not watch that whole hour lecture. I might. But <laughs> it sounded really <laughs> I'm gonna interesting look it up. to me. And then there was another guy that he also worked with uh, called Paul Elkman, who's an American psychologist and a professor at Emeritus, uh, Professor Emeritus at the University of California um, in San Francisco, who is a pioneer of the study of emotions and their relation to facial expressions. So that kind of perked my ears up because so he, he studies like micro expressions, if you've ever heard of that, where... Mm-hmm. You know, you're sort of betraying emotions on a much more subtle level. I think there's like, I remember watching like a TED talk about that. Um, and there was a show that I used to watch uh, called, did you ever see Lie to Me? Um, I've heard of it. I've okay. not seen it. The, it's kind, it's kind of silly. Kind, I, I liked it. I don't know. I may, Maybe I just like Tim Roth, but I, I used to watch it. And they talked a lot about like reading if people were lying or telling the truth by looking at their micro expressions. So I kind of knew that phrase, but that's what this guy studied and is an expert on. And I'm trying to see, I don't think I looked up a bunch of videos from him, but he had some, he had a couple cool ones. I just can't remember one that stands out to me the most, but I thought that was interesting. They sort of, you know, there's people have a lot more complex emotions than what's shown in this movie, but they kind of try just for narrative purposes to scale it back to a few because to have like 20 characters on screen at once would be kind of overwhelming. So they stuck with a few simpler emotions, but I, I think that was a good call though, because I mean, there's obviously lots of other emotions that you could talk about, you know, like, like pride, for example, and lust and things like that. But when you go into those, when you try and, I mean, they really were able to give you personalities of these five. Mm-hmm. And by focusing on these five, and even when they were focusing on, you know, in the mom or in the dad's heads, you, you got to grasp who they were. It would have just been too many characters, I think, to really give you a personality, especially when one of them, or really two, Joy and Sadness, have to go on this longer arc. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, I know that I think Docker Keltner actually said he, he wanted them to include love um, as an emotion. Uh, but, you know, they kind of, I think they kind of rolled that into joy a little bit. So um, there were a couple that he felt should have been included. And you can read, I think there's an article I found too. Oh, it's called um, A Conversation with the Psychologist Behind Inside Out. And you can kind of read even more about how he talks about uh, what this movie could teach us about Western culture as an important lesson. Um, but this, this is something that kind of interests me because I've listened to, uh, I, think, I think it might have been Invisibilia, an, an episode about emotions and how emotions even are different between different cultures. And like, it, it's just a really complex, you know, thing to study. So I, I think that's pretty interesting. So yeah, if you look up those two people's names, you'll find a little bit more about all that stuff. And, and I really yeah. recommend, again, that, that uh, video called Built to be Kind. You know, I don't, I don't know if they're making a sequel to this or not. Um, I, I would hope they will because I think it could go a lot of wonderful places. But towards the end of the movie, you actually see like the puberty button. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that would be a time when, I mean, they showed early on in the movie as, as Riley went from being born and started developing that she gained more and more emotions. Right. right and right. I feel like after the puberty button, that would be a time that they could start to bring in more emotions. Yeah, more and characters, yeah. At that point, we've already been introduced to the previous five, and so it's okay to, you know, let the others come to the forefront a little bit to focus on them. Yeah, you could even market the movie towards a slightly older audience, too, you know, kind of aim it as maybe older kids or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So um, in this next part, like I said, there's, there's quite a few actors in this movie. I'm kind of excited to talk about them because a lot of them are uh, on SNL and just other other uh, comedy projects that I really like. I think that's a great angle to approach these complex emotions from, like to imbue a little bit of humor, and so they picked a lot of comedians. I thought was a really good choice. But uh, did you want to talk about the plot in terms of like going through it, or do you want to just kind of pick some of your favorite scenes? Oh, we can just, I guess, go through it, and as the favorite scenes come up, then we can talk about them, sure. Okay, so... At the beginning of this movie, it kind of starts with there's a big move and you see them kind of the family trekking across from, uh, I think she starts in Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota. That's right. I was going to say, yeah, uh, Minnesota. And they go to San Francisco, which is a pretty significant change. Um, and I feel like this is an issue that a lot of children, you know, kind of fear, or I, I, I remember thinking of this as like a really big deal ever moving, relocating, which it's, it's a big deal for adults, but I feel like for kids, it's an even bigger kind of scary um, situation. Did you ever have any experiences like that growing up moving anywhere significant? Um, on my fourth birthday, we moved into the house that I lived in until I was 22. Oh, well, that's nice. Uh, um, <laughs> that's and <stable>. so <laughs> I, I don't really remember much of the previous house. Mm -hmm. Um, glimpses or flashes and but i don't know how much of that is things that i actually remember and how much is that is things i have been told sure yeah at that age for sure yeah i think for me like i don't think we ever had a really big move but i still watching it um can empathize with them and that you know i understand that that's a pretty big scary thing to lose all your friends and have to start over Oh, sure. Um, I, I, I want to point out at the at the very beginning of the movie when Riley is first born and they like basically opens up with her opening her eyes and joy is her first emotion. 
did you notice the console that they used to control which emotion is up? It only had one button. And then as she got older, the console expanded. And so by the time they're moving and there's the five, there's the five major emotions, the consoles, it's not big enough for them all to be out the way it was with the adults, Mm -hmm. but it is quite a bit larger. So two or three of them can be at it at a time. Mm Mm-hmm. And they don't, obviously, because much of this movie is about it, they don't all operate at the same time, but more of them are able to fit around the table. And as the console gets bigger, they get access to more and more of emotions and basically, you know, thoughts and feelings and ways to look at life. Like when jumping way ahead, when they talk about the friendly argument section opening up in Friendship Island and things like that as expands, that's all reflected in the size of the console throughout the movie. Yeah, that that's really interesting. Um, I like how they also set up. I I did notice that part honestly. I noticed that you know they're sort of setting up this idea about her core memories, which are all happy, and how her experiences turn into memories. And I, I before I watched this movie, I was wondering how they were going to visualize that. So I like that, but no, I did not notice that. That's really cool. I'm going to have to go back and watch this again. See, because this is a movie I've only seen once, I feel like you're going to clue me in on a lot of stuff that I need to go back and be on the lookout for. Well, that, I will tell you, that is a really easy one to see because you just got to watch the first, like, two minutes of the movie and then skip to the very end. And you can just <laughs> see it in the consoles. And you, you, you'll just see the change. And because much of the movie takes place in uh, what I'm guessing is the span of like three days you don't really i mean it, it doesn't change that much in the middle of the movie but you really see it when they're introducing the world and they're introducing the concept of the core memories versus just the regular memories every time you know something disgusting happens they get a disgust memory and so you get the green marble for lack of a better phrase and something makes them afraid so you know like tripping over a lamp cord i think is the first time that they show you a fear and you get the like purple one and they just show you all that at the beginning but mm-hmm they never really focus too much on the actual console. Like they never talk about how it's just getting bigger at the end. There is one reference. Here's your expanded console from the little worker drones, but it's not a focus of the movie. And I I don't know. I almost wish it was because I'm like, it's so that console is so interesting. You know, they have a thought, they have a good idea. They literally put a light bulb in it. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I want, I want to see more of what they're doing with this thing. I just think it's really interesting the way it's used throughout the movie. Well, when you're talking about, how you like TV shows because that explores that more. I mean, that that could be another idea too, to have a TV show that sort of explores more of these concepts in it. And then you have even more time to kind of pick really uh, explore it. Um, so also, I guess in this part, it would be a good idea to kind of introduce the, the basic emotions. So, you know, so far the main characters in the movie are Riley, her mom and her dad. Um, but the, the, the people that you focus on the most in the movie, or the emotions, I should say, that you focus on are joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. And I've got those listed out here. Um, I, I recognized I didn't need to know, like, I didn't need to look up some of these voices because <laughs> they were very familiar to me. Like like anger? Yeah. <laughs> There's <laughs> only one person anger yeah. could be. <laughs> yeah. Well, look. L- Lewis Black, you know, he, he has a distinctive voice. He really does. And I actually, I, I, I really liked him. I used to watch him a lot on The Daily Show. So the second that I heard his voice, I was like, yay, that's so perfect. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, he's, he's, he's a great comedian. I really love him. But, um, but yeah, kind of the, the, main, the main emotion that we focus on is Joy, which is Amy Poehler, which I also think is perfect casting, especially since she, 
I feel like she she's very good. If you watch, uh, do you ever watch Parks and Rec? Um, I've seen some of it. I didn't oh, see. Okay, okay. I didn't see all of it. I didn't. I, I didn't get into it too much. Um, but I knew who she was, and I've seen her. I've seen her, her and other things. And yeah, she's she is a great actress. And that's that's really the personality that she kind of brings to almost everything she touches. Is you know, in Parks and Rec, uh, as Leslie Nope, she has this, you know, unbeatable positive spirit that really should be diminished by her surroundings, the people she works with and the public that she's dealing with. But throughout the entire show, she's always kind of like a positive energy. And so I think that that's really good casting for Joy in this movie um, and how she's trying to balance out everyone else's emotions and keep them happy. Um, she, she was also part of the Upright Citizens Brigade. Um, and she was a regular in SNL for many years, which I'm actually a pretty mm-hmm. big SNL fan. So that was definitely my introduction to her. Loved her on that show. I remember when people used to call her the blonde Tina Fey before. Yes, yes, um, I've heard that before. Yeah, and I and I would get angry. I was like, no, she's different, and she's super funny, very talented comedian. Was so happy when Parks and Rec kind of took off because I feel like she sort of found her own. Uh, voice and her own kind of persona after that so um i think that it's pretty well captured in this movie pretty perfectly casted (laughs) uh and then we've also got sadness which is phyllis smith she was in the office i think that's the only thing that i've seen her in yeah um she is one of those people that i feel like i feel like i've seen her in a lot of stuff besides the office but at the same time, like, without looking it up, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Yeah, I couldn't place her voice when I heard it. But then when I saw her, I was like, oh, pretty good choice. Um, and then Bill Hader, of course, was Fear from SNL. Um, or he was from an SNL alum. I love him in pretty much everything he does. He was one of my favorite cast members for years. Uh, some of the skits he was in were my absolute favorite. But I think he does a really great job with Fear. I think sometimes when they pick these, a lot of these comedy actors are specifically improv, which I feel like is very, very good for voice acting because they're portraying such a wide range when you can't even see them, you know? So I feel like uh, they're just really good people to go to for something like this, especially when the characters have to be so polarized, too. Um, So I I thought that was pretty awesome. Bill Hader is actually also partially the voice for BB-8 in Star Wars. Really? Yeah, it's him and huh. another guy. You, uh, his name's Ben Schwartz. He was a pretty big cast regular on uh, Parks and Rec. He's in a lot of stuff. He's just another comedian. But um, the they had to get multiple people to voice a robot that beeps at you. Yeah, and if That's you could see interesting. the other <laughs> I didn't guy, know that. <laughs> yeah, if you saw the other guy and like. You know, he's another improv actor that's like really over the top, really big personality. Uh, he played John Ralphio in Parks and Rec. Yeah, and uh, uh, Hater, he was also Alpha Five in the recent Power Rangers movie. Oh, really? Which if, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Know, if you I were, that. I was a Power Rangers kid. Like, I was right there, direct target market for it. And so I went and saw the movie and enjoyed it for what it was. Um, which was basically just a nice letter to nostalgia. But um, yeah, so I, I didn't place, he was one of those voices that I couldn't place and I had to look it up after I saw the movie. I, I love him, but when I hear his voice, I don't always place it. I will say that. I think he worked, uh, he had a small part in Monsters, Inc. too, but I think this is like the first Pixar film that he had a, a big uh, part in. 
But yeah, I totally forgot about that. He, he kind of pops up every now and then and you don't know he's there. Like, I think he's the, he's the narrator on Scott Pilgrim, too. And like, the okay, whole, okay. that whole movie, I was like, I know that voice. It sounds familiar. And then when I saw who it was, I was, oh, of course, it's Bill Hader. But um, yeah, I, I love his take on fear. I feel like he, he makes it... I don't know. Just the character is a little more enjoyable than it would be if it wasn't him, I guess. <laughs> Almost every line that Fear says makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a hilarious guy. In fact, he, he might make me laugh more than Anger does. Yeah, And, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just so much. I mean, just every line is a joke, basically. Pretty much, yeah. That's what he's great at. Um, and then Mindy Calling, uh, as discussed, she was from The Office and obviously The Mindy Project. Uh, love her. So there's a couple people from The Office on this show. That's interesting. Again, I feel like sticking with that whole... I mean, The Office is scripted, but I feel like there's a little bit of an improv quality to it. I'm sure. I, I've never like looked into the making of it, but I, that that's the kind of show that just lends itself to letting the actors take a little more charge. Yeah, and she was also uh, one of... I think she was the first female writer on The Office, too, so she helped write some of the episodes. And I really like her work in the Mindy Project. I kind of dropped off this last season, but I did like the previous ones, and I just like her. So it was kind of cute to hear as discussed. If I had to pick another voice, like she, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Mila Kunis. Like at first, I wasn't sure who it was when I heard the voice. I could see that. Yeah, and and and, and, and I was like, when I watched it behind the scenes, it's like, oh, Mindy calling. I was like, the. Not the same voice, but sort of the same, I don't know, energy or something. Something similar about those two. Yeah, that I, I could see I could see where you would make that. And that she is a voice that I didn't recognize. I I have had to look her up for sure. Yeah, and, and um you know, that character could be really off putting, but I feel that she brought something to it where all all the actors did, to where they make they make all the emotions um relatable and um, you know, you're kind of rooting for them and uh, making them important in a part of the film. Like, I never felt when I was watching this movie that one of the emotions I was thinking, okay, I, let's get back to the real main characters or anything like that. I feel like they all have a lot to contribute. Oh, absolutely, they do. Well, let's see. So we've introduced uh, the concept and, you know, the, the main characters. I guess we can kind of move on to after she moves. Um, and she has... A, Riley has a few bad experiences uh, that sort of start setting her on this path to, I guess, sadness is what they're sort of leading up to, that she's transitioning from joy being in charge to sadness is sort of peeking in. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, starting to get to the point where she can recognize multiple emotions. And so what happens is sadness feels like she's she's losing control at one point she even says she doesn't know what's wrong with herself and the, i mean that's kind of something they often learn is there's nothing wrong with sadness she just is mm -hmm. and as joy is literally fighting to keep sadness from spreading if you will you know don't touch the memories or you'll make them sad and every time she riley will think of those she'll be sad it, she basically causes their whole machine to malfunction and as a result Riley and sadness or not Riley joy and sadness end up outside of like their headquarters with all the core memories that really are what power the personality of Riley. Right. And she needs all those emotions. They're all part of her. So if you take a couple out one or two out, then it's like you're messing with her personality. 
Yeah, and here's where you see all the like earlier they showed you the the marbles that represent the memories, and they all just kind of like went through you know these various like tubes that just shot the marbles off somewhere and they said oh it's going to long term and if you didn't pick up on it then this is where you really figure out that they're actually talking about long-term memory and so they were short-term memory up in the headquarters push them all to long term and that's usually what happens when riley would go to bed and so riley is asleep they go to long term and joy sadness they've never been there before so now they have to try and figure out their way back to headquarters while navigating this whole what to them is just this whole other world that they've never even seen before. Yeah, I, I like the way they introduce this concept of the relationship between memories and emotion. Um, because, I, you know, she's old enough now, Riley, to where she's starting to be able to look back on those memories. You know, when she was a baby, she couldn't do that. But now that she's getting a little bit older and having a new life experience, she's having to look back and deal with all those things. And pushing away some of her emotions affects her memory, like you said, in a, in a real way. And it actually eventually leads to her running away. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like the, the gags they give you about when the memories start to fade, even from long-term, the two little worker drone things (laughs) go around and they start pulling off all the memories and they, they, there's little jokes and they're like, why does she need to know their phone numbers? Cause they're in, they're in her cell phone, obviously. And you know, she, she doesn't need to remember all her piano lessons, just leave chopsticks and, and just take everything else. And that, that kind of gag is throughout the whole movie where they just, they visualize these concepts and like the train of thought. They talk about the train of thought, which is this literal train driving around their whole world. And they could always, see it from headquarters but they never got an up close look at it before and those kind of gags are just throughout this entire experience of joy and sadness being outside of their headquarters yeah and i like the parts too where you know her we mentioned earlier her parents ask her how her day was ask her what's going on and she feels pressured to say that she's happy and i think that a lot of kids uh get that pressure even when they're not moving. You know, it's like they come home from school and they don't always feel comfortable telling their parents exactly what happened. They don't want to disappoint their parents and they don't want to, they they don't know what, what they should or shouldn't tell them. I think it kind of, it takes, I think it takes a while to build that relationship that's kind of changing as they get older, uh, that trust, you know, you can come to me with what actually happened. You don't have to tell me everything's great, you know? it's funny because at at one point like she comes home from school and they're like oh how was school and she just says fine and i i this is where i don't really think i mean my oldest is five so we don't necessarily have those kind of conversations so she does tell me school is fine quite a bit thinking about it but i I like in high school i used to say that to my dad all the time Mm -hmm. he would ask me like every day how was your how was school today fine did you do anything no and just every day like i know it's like I probably was, you know, going through something similar where it's like just figuring out what I want to talk about, not wanting to disappoint, but not necessarily wanting to go in too deep into anything. A lot like Riley was acting like here. Right. I mean, how many times do you hear stories about something happening in a kid's life and the parents are like, oh, I thought they were fine. They, you know, every they're great. They're the perfect kid and everything is great. I think a lot of times children have trouble expressing some of this stuff to their parents and that's kind of what's cool about this movie is, um, you know, you sort of have to read between the lines and make sure that your child feels safe 
coming to you with what's actually happening. And, you know, they may not do that every time. They may not do that in every situation, but um, the, the journey or the, the character arc for the parents is that they're learning how to do that, you know, how to make it, I guess, safe for her. Um, and they kind of don't really, I mean, they're totally unaware that she's planning on running away or anything like that. They're too distracted with what's going on in their lives, you know, that to them seems bigger and more important. Um, but for her, she, you know, she has a different experience than they do. And what she's dealing with is very real to her, you know, not being in a new school, crying on the first day and things like that. Those are, those are big things. And I think it's an interesting movie because watching that, whether you have kids or not, I mean, everybody knows what the first day of school is like, you know, and how tough that is. So it's just interesting. Yeah. And I like the way this movie kind of jumps between those two worlds of literally showing you what's happening and then also showing you um, sort of behind the scenes in her mind and displaying it that way. Yeah, like you talked about her wanting to run away, and that that stemmed from a time when Joy and Sadness, they were out of headquarters, and fear, disgust, and anger were trying to figure out what to do. And they couldn't act like Joy, and they didn't know what to do. None of them had been in charge to this point. And, you know, anger gets the bright idea, literally grabs a light bulb and from just their shelf in the back and puts it in the console and says, all the best memories were made in Minnesota. Let's go to Minnesota. And suddenly they cut to Riley, and she's looking up, like, how to get a bus ticket to go to Minnesota. Yeah, and, and I, I like the idea, too, that those kind of baser emotions, they don't take things to their logical conclusion when you're acting on something like anger or fear because they don't think about, like, what do I do when I get to Minnesota or anything? It's just impulse, you know, without joy and sadness to balance them out. They're kind of, I don't know, they're kind of running wild. When joy and sadness are in the uh, long-term memory area, they, they do meet a pretty important character I think we need to bring up. Oh, yeah, and yeah definitely. That would be Bing Bong, who was who was Riley's imaginary friend. And in fact, at the, in the opening montage where they're explaining the world, you actually see Riley drawing on the wall with markers, a picture of Bing Bong and she's playing in a, playing in a wagon and you can like see him there and she's singing their theme song and you see all this and it's really subtle and you don't catch it all until you see him later that you put all that together. Yeah. And I, I don't know if, I, I don't remember having an imaginary friend that way, but my daughter has a stuffed bunny that she got when she was a few months old, and it is like her security blanket. Mm-hmm. And she absolutely plays with this bunny the way that Riley played with Bing Bong. And it that that is the whole Bing Bong character is one that really hit me hard because I know like like if if this bunny got left behind, I'd have to go back wherever it was at. I'd have to go try and get it. And I'd rather lose like my iPhone or something like that than this Aww. bunny when the bunny was like $5 because I can't replace the bunny. I can go yeah. buy a new iPhone. I can't buy a new bunny. And I ironically at one point my mom did buy a second one to keep in case, in case something ever happened to it. But at this point she would know the difference and she, she has seen it and she knows the difference. She knows it's not the same. And the being Bong character, like he's trying to help join sadness so much. He wants to be remembered. He wants Riley to remember the, all the good times they had and all their plans and how they played in a band and they were going to go to the moon. And Bing Bong ultimately comes to the conclusion that to save Riley, he has to sacrifice himself. Yeah, And that's I, because oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I think that the reason why, like I, I'm trying to think if I specifically had an imaginary friend, I definitely had, um, a, a blanket and a small stuffed frog that I was overly attached to. 
I think a lot of that has to do with being like an only child. I mean, I didn't have siblings. So when I was alone, that's kind of what I was really attached to. And I think for Riley, probably as she left the home and started getting more friends, she didn't need Bing Bong as much. Well, and, that makes a lot of sense because, like, Riley is an only child. Right. And, and and I think when she's in this new situation where she doesn't have her friends or her friends are far away and she's, you know, alone again because her parents are too busy with their lives, I think that's the temptation to go back to Bing Bong, you know, kind of thing. Um, that part of the movie is so sad for me. I don't know why, but it, <laughs> it hits me really hard. Maybe because I kind of remember like I said, not having uh, an imaginary friend, but sort of having just an active imagination and, and stuffed animals like that. And the whole movie, I was like, man, Bing Bong sounds so familiar. It's, uh, his name's Richard King. Uh, he's in a lot of stuff, but I mainly remembered him from Spin City. I don't know if you used to watch that show. Um, I, I saw quite a bit of it, and yeah, he's been yeah, in tons of things. He's, he's in, like, everything, and he does, I think, a lot of voice acting work specifically. But yeah, I was. That's kind of what I thought his role was. Is do you uh do you watch uh, Gotham? I do. I haven't. I'm not cut up on the newest season though. I'm okay. Not, well, he he's actually in Gotham. You know he's, what? He's, he's the he's, he's the he was the mayor. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of pick and choose with that show. Like I completely dropped off, and then they introduced Jerome, and then I went back and watched it. <laughs> but um, season so, three is fantastic. Watch season three. Okay. I, I totally understand if you skip season two. It was yeah, terrible. It, that was but, bad. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing I the thing I like about Bing Bong is they never really tell you what he's ste- like, why he's stealing when he is, but he's rummaging through long term and he's collecting memories. And they never actually tell you what he's doing with those. And I always kind of imagined that those were the memories like uh, that he was included in. So like those are memories that Riley has of playing with him and that he was trying to keep those close to himself to keep himself like to feel closer to Riley. They never tell us that. That, that, So that may be me putting too much onto it, but that's just my interpretation of what Bing Bong is doing when he's stealing these memories. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be a reason for it. I wonder if you were to like pull – um, adults or that have older kids, like parents of older kids, and how many kids have a imaginary friend that they don't necessarily remember when they're older? Maybe it's playing off something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I didn't get a chance to talk to my parents because I wanted to ask them if I had an imaginary kid that way. Because, like I said, with my daughter and this bunny, I I see the way she plays with bunny, and she full on has conversations with this thing that and her head is really happening. And that is what Riley was like with Bing Bong. And I think, I think that's why I'm attached to the Bing Bong character so much is because I can see so much of my own daughter and her friend in that. Mm-hmm. And it just makes it all the more tragic when Bing Bong does sacrifice himself into the memory dump and he literally, literally fades away. So I have a question for you since you have a daughter, what, how does she react to that part of the movie? Um, she doesn't like it. <laughs> Um, there's, there's a couple times in the movie, uh, especially when things are sad. Uh, the first, like the first time, um, one of the islands of personality crumbles. Um, I, I'm forgetting which one off the top of my head right now, but whatever one was first, like Riley tried to access that emotion or those feelings like hockey, for example, she tried to play hockey and the hockey island crumbles. My daughter does not like those scenes. (laughs) She likes other parts of the movie. She has a inside out blanket that, it's not her favorite, but she does sleep with it occasionally. She does have a bing bong stuffed animal. Um, when my son was born, we had him, you know, quote, give her a joy stuffed animal. Aww. Because at the time, she was huge into the movie and she would just watch it over and over all the time. But she watches 
like she watches on like my old iPad and she would just, she figured out how to scrub through the movie and she would always just skip the, skip the scary parts that she doesn't like. And no, she, she does not watch it when joy and being Bong fall into the memory dump. And because that whole scene is sad and I mean, it's supposed, it's it's kind of supposed to be a little inspirational, I guess with, you know, they're, they're getting back up and they keep falling down and they keep trying again. But then she gets out and Bing Bong doesn't. And no, my daughter does not like that part. Well, because again, as an adult, I don't like it. Like, I was actually pretty surprised when Bing Bong didn't make it out. I mean, I saw that he was starting to disappear. But when he actually goes away forever, (laughs) I was kind of upset. And it just made me think of, I asked you that question because I was thinking of when I was a kid, my dad told me that um, we were watching, I think it was Alice in Wonderland. And I saw the, the caterpillar character just yell at Alice and mm-hmm. I immediately burst into tears and I was like, he's mean, he's mean to Alice. I hate this part. And I would make him like skip it. So <laughs> I, I was like, I wonder, you know, those are tougher parts of the movie, I guess for kids. And I wondered this part, I think is probably the most difficult part the, all of it. Like you said, when they fall in the memory dump and when you lose Bing Bong, who I think was my favorite character. <laughs> I I I would probably I think I would have to say the same thing. Um, though I I think fear usually comes down to fear and anger were my favorite emotions. Um, but Bing Bong is an excellent character, and he was a mix of all the different you know various animals, and they kind of look at him weird. And he's like, you, you got to remember, animals were all the rage back then. You know, when Riley was three years old, the cow goes moo and the horse goes neigh, right? And they and I I just I looked at my wife when when we watched that over the weekend and he said that line, because I'm like, you do that with our son all the time. I mean, he's 18 <laughs> months, but I'm like, you do that all the time with them. It's like animals, all the rage right there. That's, <laughs> that's where this comes from. That's too funny. Yeah. That's something I probably wouldn't have picked up on. That makes a lot of sense. So what happens? So I guess we're at the point of the memory dump. What's the next thing that happens? Well, the next big thing after the memory dump, uh, they, they figure out how to use Bing Bong's rocket with song power, and they sing his theme song, and they get Joy out. And it's at this point that she has to go, to, like her final grasp to get back to headquarters. Mm-hmm. And it honestly, it's all kind of confusing of how exactly she gets close to it. Um, there's Riley's imaginary boyfriend that they make like 50 of these guys who all just say repeatedly, I would die for Riley. I would die for Riley. And she uses all them to make kind of a ladder to get closer to where headquarters is. And she just falls towards headquarters and joy is, or sadness is along for the ride at this point. Again, they've met back up because sadness did not go into the memory dump, which is probably good because she never would have got out. I'm sure. Um, (laughs) And I mean, that really kind of takes you to the end of the movie. That's when joy and sadness figure out, I mean, really, that's when Joy figures out it's Sadness's turn to lead, put her in charge of this. And that's when Riley has her her breakthrough back in like the real world and is able to explain to her parents what she's feeling. Mm-hmm. I like the way her parents respond too. I thought they they handled it really well. They're like, you know, just agreeing with her that they were also experiencing a, lo- a lot of similar emotions to her. Well, I think they were validating her emotions. Mm-hmm. And telling her, you know, it's okay for you to be feeling these ways. Yeah. They're realizing, I think they're realizing she's at that point in her life where, you know, she's able to understand what's going on around her a little bit more than they thought. 
I think like when I was, if I had seen this movie when I was a kid, I probably wouldn't have picked up on the fact that the, that as her parents, they were also trying to protect her and shield her, you know, from having to feel all the stuff she was feeling. Oh, um, I, I, I think that makes total sense. Um, I, I have to imagine now that parents of, you know, upper elementary age, like fourth, fifth graders and stuff like that, that they actually use this movie to talk with their kids and try and connect with them and talk about their emotions and things like that. I mean, it makes total sense to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good like blueprint and you have the stamp of approval of psychologists behind it. So (laughs) it has some real, uh, some real validation to, to what's represented on screen. Um, yeah, well, uh, like you said, it's not a super long movie, but there's just so much sort of under the surface of it. There, There is, and I mean, we, we went through it pretty fast, but I, I would encourage people who haven't seen it to watch it. With kids, without, I mean, if you don't have kids, go see it. I think it's still a great movie, and there's tons of visual gags mm-hmm. and yeah. tons of just little, little brief things. Like, at one point, she eats ice cream too fast, and she gets brain freeze and they cut to inside and literally all of the emotions have frozen over. (laughs) And there's just lots of little comments like that. There's an, there's a whole bit about abstract thought and literally thinking outside the box. Um, You know, they talk about the, the train of thought just going all over the place and losing the train of thought and things like that. It, there's so many of those kind of little jokes that Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to talk about them all. I don't want to spoil them all for people who haven't seen it. But the movie is just full of them. And if you have seen it, like, I mean, I've seen it multiple times at this point, especially with my daughter having gone through that phase of watching this movie. But I still see little things that I I didn't necessarily pick up on from the time before because it is so full of just background stuff. Yeah, I really liked uh, that part where her and her mom, they're they're trying to look for, like, some you know, comforts of home. And so they think comfort food and they go to that pizza place. And then the pizza place only sells pizza with broccoli on it. I thought that was kind of funny because they're in San Francisco. <laughs> and I read that there's actually a place like that near the Pixar studio that has like strange toppings like that. <laughs> I, I've heard of places that do that where they just sell one type of pizza. But I, I mean, that was a great bit because it was like, congratulations, you've ruined pizza. First the Hawaiians and now you. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's just a throwback to Hawaiian style pizza, if you know what that is. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of little things like that. At one point they're going through imagination land and they see all these trophies and they're like, Oh, I got first place. I got first place. And they cut to sadness and she goes, Oh, participation award. And I'm like, just <laughs> little jokes like that are just so funny. And they just really keep you engaged. And not all of that is going to be picked up on by kids, but right. as adults, you're going to get it. And so it's, uh, it's such a, such a great movie. I absolutely encourage people to see it. Yeah. I think I forgot to slip in the parents, uh, who the parents are, but the parents are Diane Lane and let's see. Oh yeah. Diane Lane was the mom and then Kyle McLaughlin or McLaughlin, uh, was the dad. So that's the guy from Twin Peaks and, uh, the Dune movie, the, the, uh, David Lynch film. Mm-hmm. He's also, it's the most recent thing I saw him in was on uh, Portlandia, but <laughs> he was in a uh, he was in um, Agents of Shield for a little oh, really? while. Oh, okay. I he like played he, Sky or Daisy, depending on what season you're watching. Uh, her father. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, he's been popping up a lot lately. Like he's kind of having a little resurgence. Yeah, I I think that's probably pretty accurate. Uh, I mean, he's he's just another great actor, and mm-hmm. he's not one that I recognize the voice of at all. Like I 
I didn't either, but then when I saw that, I was like, yeah, he's, he seems like such a dad. <laughs> like, at least the, a lot of the roles that he plays now, he just seems like a dad. Yeah, I, yeah, that makes sense. Like, classic dad. Um, but, let's see, so, uh, yeah, I think I think that's that's pretty much it. Did, were there, you said you didn't want to ruin too much of the movie for people. Was there anything else specifically about the film that you wanted to kind of just bring up? Um, no, I, I feel like we've pretty much pretty much covered all the oh you know what no the dream sequence at one point riley they show riley dreaming and the way that works is it's actually a like a television show that the little worker drones are putting on and then they they use the reality distortion filter to make it look like the real like there's this little purple thing that's supposed to be riley's teacher and then they put on the filter and it's the teacher and Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed those scenes involving there and when they were trying to wake her up by messing up her dreams i thought that was really clever and the way fear was like it's like he was on like night watch and he was watching the show of the dream and he's he's yelling at him to pick a plot line and you know like i've seen this one before and it's so predictable and talking about that the way people do when they watch tv and movies and (laughs) i i thought that was a really fun scene yeah there's a lot, a lot of great moments in this film. Um, like you said, they cram a lot into, into the running time. Because I think a lot of kids' movies are short, but is this one shorter than some of the other Pixar films? Um, I, it, I honestly don't know. Um, it, it feels shorter than some of the ones that I maybe don't enjoy as much, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I would have to actually look up the run times of others. Yeah, it's always interesting when you do that. Uh, last week we had an episode about an animated film, and it was only 81 minutes. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, to me, when I watched the, that movie, I just thought it was so much longer. Um, and even this one, when you said that, that surprised me. I didn't realize it was that short. Yeah, I, yeah I'm not sure. I mean, kids' movies are a little bit shorter. And a- animated tends to... I mean, they're shorter because kids have shorter attention spans. Sure. Animated I, tends to be shorter as well. Uh, but I... I mean, really, this is true for pretty much all of Disney and Pixar. I They continue to impress me with how much they put into these relatively short runtimes. And from me, the guy who, who once told my co-hosts on Fans that eight episodes of a TV show was really short to me, of like an eight-episode series, mm-hmm. it, and having a 90-minute thing still feel like I got a full story, like, to me, that is like a high compliment that I can give. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of what separates them from other animated films, like you were kind of saying earlier. I was looking at the runtimes really quick. They're they're all about the same, but um, but they do feel longer, I think. And this one, this one definitely matches that. Like I would have sworn Wally was longer. Yeah, no, that one that that one um, was pretty short. But that I mean, that was another great movie that I actually want to watch again. Um, <laughs> this sounds bad, but you know what? The parents and the audience they will understand. I need to see that movie without my kids, so that I can see <laughs> all the focus. things that I probably missed as I'm answering questions and things like that. Um, but I, yeah, you know, what? I, I have no shame for saying that. Any parent who's listening, they will totally get it there's movies you want to watch with your kids, especially movies like Disney and Pixar, but they're so good and there's so much for adults in them that you do kind of want to see them by yourself as well. Yeah, just to yeah. pick up on the other nuances that might make, make your daughter think you're really cool though. Like what if one day she catches you watching it alone? <laughs> well, like, realistically oh, it'd be catching it. me watching it with my wife because she would probably instigate it, but oh, I, she would not have to <laughs> twist my, she would not have to twist my arm very hard to throw one of these movies in. So what, what keeps you coming back to this movie? I feel like by this point when I ask this, people have kind of already answered it, but 
what what keeps you coming back? Why why do you watch this movie so much? At this point, at the stage of my life, as a parent of two young kids, I think it's coming back for the insight that it could maybe give me into my own children's emotions. Ah, uh, I, I I like that. That's very empathetic. Um, I I would say, well, I've only seen this movie one time, but just based on what I was researching about it, especially about the emotions experts. That kind of stuck with me the most. It made me want to go watch like all their videos and then and then go back and watch the movie again and sort of analyze it. Because I think that's what I like about movies, which is kind of why I like doing this podcast. I kind of like to dive a little bit deeper. And I think for a children's movie, this movie really does that. And it does it in a way that's not boring. It's not exhausting. It's fun, you know, for children and for adults to watch. So I that, guess Absolutely. Fun. Um, what would you say to someone that's never seen this before? Um, if someone was about to watch it, I would tell them, just be prepared to go on a journey that is going to make you feel sad and happy at the same time. I think that's a pretty good assessment and a pretty good assessment of most of the films that this uh, director worked on. You know, when you think about like, especially Up. Like I said, you've, you've got to see that movie. But <laughs> Yeah, uh, Up, I've heard, is one that takes you on a roller coaster. Um, I mean, I'm, I mean, he worked on Toy Story. Yeah, and yeah exactly. Especially, like, the whole Toy Story trilogy is a very emotional... I mean, if you were to watch all three of them, it's very highs and lows as far as your emotions. And, mm -hmm. I mean, that's something Disney and Pixar is just really good at doing. Well, thank you for so much for taking the time out to discuss this movie with me. Really, really happy to have you on the show. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I was truly excited you asked me. And I, like I said, I was just like, I don't know what movie to do. And I know we kind of briefly talked about Wonder Woman, but that just, the more I thought about it, I was like, that's so recent. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've recorded two like full on reviews of Wonder Woman, which I know that's not what this is, but oh, I, I was like, I don't know. It just feels like the wrong movie to do. And, um, I, I was really glad that you went for Inside Out. And there's other Pixar movies. Like, you might think that I like The Incredibles, and you'd be right. I love it. It's the best Fantastic Four movie ever made. But yeah. even that felt like a more straightforward movie. I mean, obviously, it has a true... I mean, it's a comic book movie that's not based on a comic book. And I just... I wanted something a little different, even outside my own comfort zone, if you will. Yeah, and I think both you and Ray on your show do a really good job when you're discussing, like, different TV series going through like character development. So this movie, I mean, it's kind of about that in a way because it's about emotions and it's a little more complex than just something straightforward like good, good guy versus bad guy. So I think it's a pretty, a pretty good fit. And I was just happy that, that somebody's picked something a little bit outside the box. You know, we can tick off another genre off our, our bucket list, so to speak. Well, yeah. Th thank you again for the invite. I, I really enjoyed it. All right. Well, um, all of you listeners out there, where where can they find you, Brent? How can they find you? Uh, best way to get in touch would be uh, Brentac Prime on Twitter. Um, I, I'm with the Suicide Squadcast Network, so just suicidesquadcast.com will get to all the shows that we put on. Um, specifically, I'm a regular in Fans Without Borders. Again, DC, Marvel, Star Wars, Star Trek, geeky stuff like that. Um, I co-host with, with Ray, who, who writes a lot at the Flightcast, and he's, well, much more well-spoken than I am. And so we, we, we tend to debate things on the show. Um, <laughs> I think and both you know what? Well <laughs> he, 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 he usually wins. Shh, don't tell him, but oh. <laughs> it, I don't, I don't mind that when he makes good logical arguments and it, it's a lot of fun to do. 
And I, so that that's the best place to find us. Well, um, again, thank you so much for taking the time. I hope that you'll come back and uh, I yeah, hope that you'll pick another movie um, and we'll discuss that too. So thanks Sounds so great. Thank right. you. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. That was so fun. I think it's awesome. We finally got to do a Pixar movie episode and really enjoyed discussing this particular one with Brent. Uh, if you guys have any feedback about this episode or others, please feel free to contact me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. You can also find me on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa or in our closed Facebook group, I Love That Movie. Like I said, the Facebook group is closed, but if you just send me a request, I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, totally judgment-free. My only rule is don't pick on each other, embrace each other's differences. We all like different movies. It's okay. Um, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate this show. And if you leave a positive review in iTunes, you will be automatically entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. Uh, right now we're at 11 reviews, and I will draw once we get to 15. Uh, everybody loves free money, and it's my way of giving back to you guys for supporting me. So again, thanks so much, and I look forward to hearing from you. 